From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line, our Macaulay, Ramsey Russell. How are y'all, guys? Fantastic. Good. You know, before I punched the record button, I was just telling Ramsey and Ira that last week, Boy, it was numbers wise. I mean, I knew it was a good podcast episode when we recorded it, but overall, man, it was the download numbers were excellent. Mm-hmm. Must have been an extra point in the uh, podcast world. Well, it did, it did really, really well. Um, <laughs> people, you know, comment to me about the about the Harlequin in Alaska with the rock. Jeez, the it, it, it's so funny because we recorded Josh Raggio's episode today, and as I listen to everybody tell their story, in in a lot of ways, the people that are successful in the industry, they have a really similar start. How so, Rocky? Uh, hard work being number one. Just about every single uh, one of the people that we've done stories with, that that's always the, the cornerstone, I would say, um, similarities. Hard work, great values, integrity. They, I mean, I could just, the list just keeps going on and on. You know, they, they grew up with their dad. They grew up on a farm doing some kind of work. It, it's it's all these same similarities. I'd say a lot of them have a lot of right brain thinking going on too. You know, thinking thinking about things in different ways and not just, you know, being a cow following the, the herd down the path. That's right. It, it, Free thinking. You know, I was having a conversation with a guy today. Hear y'all's thoughts on this. You know, we live in a world where if somebody is... In, in, and it's changed this much in 20 years. But we live in a world today where maybe it's taught through the media. You're taught to be jealous of and hate people that are successful. On the farm, we're raising 4-H animals. I'm, tr- I'm trying to hang out with some of the top breeders in the 4-H business. And I would tell them, look, I... I I want to get there. I don't want to sit, be one of those people sit, that sits back and is jealous and hates others that are successful. I want to learn from you. Teach me. Teach me what you're doing. And most most people, the th- common theme that I found that I find around successful people, if you will just have a conversation with them, they'll tell you those secrets. Yeah, and I would I think that's a good it, point. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Rocky. I would think it's a whole lot like in the hunting world. I mean, where, you know, we may all be kind of looking at things from what we have going on and from our own angle and, you know, on the the manufacturing side, you know, there's some competition and all that stuff. But still, the thing that I think is is super important and that a lot of times we we don't give enough credit to and think about enough is that, you know, the community, whether it's the 4-H community or the hunting community or whatever, and we should be supportive of each other and uh, help each other and, you know, 
bring each other up instead of trying to put each other down. And I think for the most part our community does that, but we we certainly do see some negative. But I was I was going to say, barring from both what y'all just said, is that a, a lot of the stories I've heard on this podcast, I know my personal experience and several others, is you're surrounding yourself, you know, birds of a feather flock together, and a lot of the people I know are associated with people like themselves, and so uh, iron sharpens iron. You know, it, it, it's just it's just by by a close association of highly motivated people, and and I, I, I at least I benefit from a lot of friendship. You know what I'm saying? It just it's just uh, it's a lot of synergy going on. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. I fully agree with that. Well, Ira, look, last week when we left it, you were about to be done with with high school and head off to college. We we had started into the a little bit, and I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, we'll, we'll pick up there <laughs> next week," because I, I think that you had some interesting college days. You, you oh yeah, man! The choir. You joined the choir when you got to university, didn't you? The boys' choir. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was I was a little bit of a black sheep, but you know I did go uh, several years of. Catholic middle school and high school, and then when I moved here to Missouri, went to a public school, and, you know, I'd give my parents a run for their money. I, I was a good kid, by and large, and made good grades, and was, you know, big-time swimmer and all that stuff, but, man, I, I did uh, push their buttons. I mean, they quit waiting for me to come home from school, or from, uh, you know, being out and all that stuff, and, and so I had a pretty wild streak in me. And uh, I think I just kind of beat them down. But uh, so, yeah, I, I finished up high school and, you know, my friends are applying to college. I'm going here and I'm going there. And, oh, Ira, I, I never thought, I didn't even think about applying to college. So my parents are like, where are you going to school? I said, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm just going to, you know, do something around here. But they nipped that in the bud real quick. They were like, no. No, that's not happening either. You're you're out of here. So either you're going into the army, or you're going to college. So college was here in Missouri. So I sent something off and I got accepted. And uh, so I was going to the University of Missouri, and um, I knew what I was going to do and all that. So uh, my parents and my brother went to South Carolina on a vacation. They they made the mistake. Of leaving me at home, and uh, so they left Lord. me at home. Oh yeah, every night we'd have a party, you know. So we they started off small, and everything was manageable. And each night they kind of grew. Well, the one night things got really out of control. I mean, we ended up with several hundred of my best friends that I did not know at my parents' <laughs> house. <laughs> and uh, you know, you know things are out of control when you call the cops on your own damn party. I mean, I called nine one one, and they were like, "What's the problem?" And I said, "This place is out of control. You got to get people over here immediately. They're destroying our house." So the cops show up, and they're like, "Whose party is this?" And I said, "Well, it's my party." And they said, "Okay, how old are you?" I said, "Well, I'm 17." And they were like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Get these damn people out of here right now! They're ruining our house." They kick everybody out of there, and uh, I mean, my poor parents. We had cigarette burns in our carpet. Our pool pump was blown up. The pipes were all full of beer cans. Someone threw a thing of potatoes in the pool. They were all in the pipes. Somebody got in a fight, knocked down our whole you know fence around our yard. Uh, one of my buddies ran into our neighbor's big tree, wrecked his car, ruined their tree. So, and I had like 1200 bucks cash that I'd been saving up. Somebody stole that out of the drawer in my room. So, I mean, it was a bad deal. And uh, I get up the next you're, morning. You're kind of like, like an the, HBO the, movie. Yeah, it's, uh, I was going to say, it sounds like, what's that movie with the red-headed girl in the 80s? 16, 16 Candles with Long Duck Dog uh, in it. Yeah, Long Duck Dog. <laughs> they had that well, party. <laughs> you know, you do dumb things when you're young. And uh, I wrote several chapters in the book, but I go outside the next morning, man. My neighbors are throwing beer cans back in the yard, and they're cutting me the hairy eye. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to get the hell out of here. I mean, I've got to get out of here. So school starts in like five days. You know, my parents were coming back. They were going to take me to college and all that. Well, I knew that I had really messed up, so I 
gather all my crap together, kind of put a band-aid on this and that. I, I don't even know where I'm staying, but I get out of there and go to go to Columbia. You know, I'm not going to be home when they get home. So they get home, and I'm at school, and you know, I was a Fidel to them, you so doing that deal, and really hadn't talked to my parents too much, but it was not good. And uh, here comes a letter addressed to me, so I get my letter, and I open it up. It's from my parents' attorney, and the oh letter clearly stipulates what the rules of engagement concerning college are going to be. It went pretty much something like this. If you have over a 3.5, here's what we'll help you with. If you have below a 3.0, good freaking luck with life, but you're you're going into the Army or whatever, but we're not helping support you at all. I mean, fair enough. You know, it was very clear, and uh, it definitely helped me to learn that I was going to toe the line, and we weren't going to have any more of that stuff. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Again, Setting a great example for my brother, you know, really, really making it easy on him. Mm-hmm. What happened to those days, man? It seems like, you know, when you're growing up in those days, and we're not much in age difference, but a lot of your friends were like that. But these days, man, it's, it's unrestricted roll with, you know, roll with the punches, most of the kids these days. I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, when I was in high school, there were lots of of people that had parties. And, I mean, you know, there was a lot of drinking going on, and the parents knew and all that. I just don't think there's that much of that that goes on these days. Maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But I guess I'm getting ready to find out. Oh, yeah. It's still going on. Back in spades. I think that it was easier access. As far as alcohol, man, yeah, I can remember being a senior in high school walking up in gas stations and buying beer. Oh, yeah. You knew the certain stores that you could and the ones that you couldn't. Now, geez, man, they still card me if if I buy a can of snuff. (laughs) Yeah. Back in the 80s, all they saw saw was $5 and $10 bills. That's right. Yeah. There's more. There's more things, and in, in, in especially living in a college town and talking to some of the cops, like like in Oxford. There's so many more things going on besides alcohol. Right. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm and glad I'm not back. a teenager anymore. I'm, I'm glad I don't have that. I mean, you know, whew, it's a lot worse than just drinking a few beers or whatever. Back, you know, like it is today. It's scary. Well, you know, these kids are dying and all that stuff, but the vape thing's crazy. And I don't know. We damn sure weren't angels back then, but it's just kind of a different world. The biggest thing, social media and, and phones, man, that's crazy. I mean, you know, there's just it's instantaneous uh, gratification, you know. It's crazy. You were talking about being a Fidel, right, Ira? You were a Fidel yep. in Missouri. And, and in those days, you would have a party at the house. And it it got rough at times in fraternity houses back then. Late night on Thursday night, and then ball game weekends, you you would have a party. Um, Then you'd have those swaps with the sororities. But now, I I don't even think that they allow really parties to go on in these fraternity houses that much anymore? Um, no, man. I mean, I don't know what's going on around the country necessarily, but uh, at MU, oh, good Lord, at MU, you know, right around what, so I graduated undergrad in 91, and, and we burned our, our fraternity. <laughs> God, man, hold on. I got all kinds of stuff going crazy here. I got kids and dogs. and I have you guys, Rocky? Oh, you're good. Mm-hmm. You're good. Good Lord. Um, uh, you know... How do you, how do you burn good. the fraternity house down? Oh, man. Well, I mean, back then, hazing was just rampant, you know? Um, and so we'd have all kinds of hazing events. And, uh, 
this particular one was basically an annual event where we'd go and buy thousands and thousands of dollars of fireworks. And this is another one of those deals where, uh, where we just talking about where, uh, the statute of limitations kicks in. So I'll tell the story now, but, uh, you know, we, sh we'd shoot all, we'd, we'd shoot all the, the, uh, pledges with, with fireworks. And, um, I mean, thousands of dollars of fireworks for one of the bottle rockets or whatever it was, he's one of our columns and caught the come on fire and of course everybody was sleeping it was three in the morning it was during finals week and uh man you know right about when i was gonna well about five in the morning the whole uh fire body 18 fire trucks show up and uh they evacuated the house and there you are, I, think. I mean it was uh you know we had so I was a fight elk, so we were a member of the tri Miami Triad. So, you know, some of the people that are on here may have been Sigma Chi's or Betas or whatever. You know, back then, it was we didn't have 50 keg parkings were nothing. You know, you'd get thousands and thousands of people at the house, and things were just wild and crazy. You know, it was a, it was a crazy time, lots of drinking. Uh, there were plenty of drugs back then, but, you know, I never was into – I was never a drug or any of that stuff, but – uh you could find as much trouble as you wanted. That was for sure. Uh, after mm -hmm. you know, burn the house down. Uh, I think it must have been in like ninety. It was whenever that light. Hold on, light. hold on, Ira. hold on, hold on a second. Hold on just a second. You said that the the house caught on fire. For, I guess from a firework, and you had to go take a final in. It broke up just a second. A robe. A robe, but that was all I had. I didn't have a pencil. I didn't have a calculator. I didn't have anything. All I had was a dog on a rope. Oh, God. I what, what is the robe from, we lived on one side, all the way on the west side in the bed school. Or this I wouldn't have been a bed school then, but it would have been the ag school, the science schools on the other side. Oh, yeah, I walked all the way across there. And, of course, no one knew what was going on. They're like, what are you doing? I said, man, our house burned down. I, I don't even have a pencil. I don't have anything. What is your and professor's that, reaction walking in to a final in a row? I think it was a practical uh, joke. Well, I mean, I don't know what they thought, but they weren't very sympathetic that day. Uh, we did get a little on some of the finals. They gave us a little bit of leeway, and I got to do, like, a makeup exam or whatever, you know, but... Um, I don't think they really cared. Hell, they couldn't speak English, so I don't know why they would get, get you know cared too much. Yeah. Oh. But it was a wild time. But what I was going to say is, you know, like a year after we burnt the house down, man, that was when they came in and they just shut the Greek system down completely. It was when you know a couple guys died from hazing and alcohol poisoning and all that stuff, and and they just. They freaking shut the whole thing down. I mean, they that was the end of that. No more beer, no more booze on campus. That was the end of the keggers, the whole nine yards. That would have been like probably right around 91, maybe 92. But boy, we had some wild times while I was there. Jocks or socks and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, Mizzou, you, you and... Trying to think, no, no, he'd have been way after you. So, if, never mind. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, I was. How do you master. even? Yeah, how do you even figure out that you want to go to vet school? How does that come about? Well, like I said the other day, uh, I uh, I'd worked for a vet at home for a couple of summers, Doctor Millis in Richmond Heights. Had a very successful walk-in practice, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But vet school was kind of on the radar, but so were a lot of others. Not a lot of, uh, crazily enough, either game game warden or wildlife biologist, or who knows what I would have ended up doing. But, you know, those were probably the three things that were kind of on my radar screen. And then, like we talked about the other day, um, you know, everybody that goes to vet school, their whole life they've wanted to be a veterinarian and nothing else i just kind of went through the paces and somehow got accepted and i was like well hell, i guess i'm going to vet school do you remember the interview oh yeah yeah them poor people i hoodwinked them like nobody's business 
They they had no idea what they were getting into. Trust me, because the interview is a huge part uh, of getting into vet school. Interviews, uh, of course, great, but the interview and then uh, the referrals. I, I guess you get somebody to write a letter for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all there's a whole structured breakdown of you know this part's worth this many percent and this part's worth this many percent and all that stuff, you know, and so. You go through and you check all the boxes and, and you get, you know, where, however you rank on those deals. But, you know, my grades were good. Um, I'd done well on the on the BCAT and, and all that. But, but so had everybody else. I, I, you know, I had some good experience. Um, you know, I think what – I think that to some degree, you know, there's a lot of – and I'm not, I'm not judging anyone or anything else, but God dang, there's a lot of nerdy veterinarians out there. And, and some of them are just so book smart, they're not really good communicators with people, you know. And I just have to wonder if they didn't take a little bit of that into account, too, because God knows I was not the brightest bulb in the box. And, uh, you know, everybody was qualified, so it wasn't like, you know, I was leading the pack with in any category other than probably just being a decent communicator and a, and a good bullshitter, I guess. That's all we got I'm me all- through, college. Uh, all right, correct me if I'm wrong, Ira. I've always heard that the A students in vet school become professors. The B students always end up specializing, and the C students become the millionaires that, that own the successful practices. Is that right? Well, I don't know about the millionaires unless they're doing something else, but, yes, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, they, we there's very little business stuff that's taught there. Um, a little bit, they touch on it some, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of successful practices out there. So the go-getters, the guys that are the right brain thinkers, the type A personalities, you know, in general, they're going to be the ones that are owning practices and, and all that stuff, you know, so. I had an attorney yeah. tell me one time, similar, similar thing, Rocky said, the, the A students became professors and the B students, uh, went to work at the law practice of the C students. He said, that's the way law school was. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It is, and and I think the reason I think the reason why see if y'all agree with this because I think that the the C students are probably possess a communication capability that most of your highly intelligent book smart people don't possess, and that's what really at the end of the day makes you successful in life is communicating with people. I well, it's just I like never, the old saying goes. Yeah. It's like the old saying goes, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. So if you're a C student, you better work extra hard because uh, you weren't smart enough to make A's, you know. I never took a final in a toga, but but I but I I did learn a whole lot more outside the classroom in college than I learned in it, you know. That's a fact. So I got to tell you guys something here. So, you know, every night at our house, you have your normal nightly routine with your kids and all that stuff. Well, tonight I come home and there's like, 10 kids inside our outbuilding out here playing basketball and hitting baseballs and all that. So I'm like, well, heck, I'm just going to go lock myself in my car. So what happened a minute ago when all hell broke loose and the dogs were barking and my Bluetooth and my truck picked up and all that, somebody came to pick up their kid. And so I tried to roll up my window. The dogs started barking. Uh, my truck Bluetooth picked up. And so I don't, that's just giving you a little insight into what all that was about <laughs> and what's going on in my world tonight. There's kids running around yeah. everywhere hitting rocks with baseballs and or baseball bats and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what happened when the mm-hmm. wheels fell off the audio cart. Oh. Yeah. Well, you, you, <clears throat> are you working while you're in college? Yeah, so I got to college. Remember, I got the letter from my attorney. So my parents made it clear that they were going to help them as long as I had good grades, but that I was going to need to get a job to support myself as well. So you guys, you know, everybody knows what Bass Pro Shops is. Well, we all think of Bass Pro Shops as the big mega stores, you know, the aquariums and the huge amounts and all that stuff. But I don't know if you guys ever watched David Letterman, but Letterman used to have a deal on there fairly frequently. I guess he just thought it was funny that it was a sign that said liquor, guns, and ammo. Do you guys remember that? No. I don't. Well, that's where I worked. I I worked at Tommy Foster's Bass Pro in Columbia, and it was one of the old original Bass Pro shops that were just like a franchise deal. And so we were in a little strip mall, and it said Bass Pro Shops, 
and then liquor, guns, and ammo. So we sold liquor, guns, ammo, fishing bait, all that stuff. So all the way through college, vet school and undergrad, I worked there. And so I, you know, I was head minnow dipper, head night crawler recounter. Uh, you know, you needed crickets, I'd count your crickets for you. You needed arrows, I'd get them all set up for you. Um, man, it was a, it was a great job, you know. Uh, but it was in kind of a rough part of town, and uh, we had a very mixed clientele. So, you know, it'd start off, you'd have guys coming in, buying ammo, or wanting to foresight a rifle, or help them set up their bow, or whatever. And then the next thing you know, here'd come, here'd come a, a band of brothers, and they'd be like, give us two bottles of the bump. And I'd be like, the bump? What the, what the, what in the world is that? They're like, come on, man, you know the gin. And I'm like, the gin? Oh, oh okay, the Seagram's here. Yeah, that's it, the bump. I'm like, okay. Well, old Tommy Foster, he was a, he was a big-time military guy. So what they didn't know was that he had a sawed-off shotgun right there underneath the desk. And all you had to do was pull the trigger, and it'd chop both knees off right there, you know. So that always helped you feel a little bit better when it was 930 at night, and you'd have people come in, you know, that were all messed up buying booze, knowing that, you know, you had a little upper hand right there. Probably wouldn't fly in today's world, but it was just kind of run-of-the-mill back then. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'll say this. I had this conversation with somebody today. Uh, it was with the restaurant owner in Oxford. Now, when I was in college, I put in application after application after application after application. Everywhere you went, there was a stack of applicants for a job in a college town. Now, I'm sorry to do this comparing then to now, but you can't get college kids to go to work like it was back then. They don't have a job, a lot of them. I was like you. I had I had I had to earn money. I was just like you. I had to earn extra money to pay for outside of basic needs. Yeah, I mean, most of my friends in a fraternity house. I mean, most of us had some job, whether you're a bartender or you know started your own little business in in the community, delivering hot tubs, or you know worked at a restaurant, or you know helped out on the farm, or helped out at one of the university deals. I mean. Almost everybody had some sort of job, you know, even if it was mm-hmm. something where you only worked 10 hours a week or whatever. I don't know. I enjoyed my time at Bass Pro. I mean, I made some, some relationships and friendships that are still, you know, very important to me up to this date and time, you know. Wouldn't have had it any other way. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a significant part of, of, I mean, I never really thought about it, but I'm sure that it played a, a role in in, in you know, what got me into wanting to be involved in the, the hunting industry in a, you know, more involved manner. That's that's what I was just thinking to ask. It had to. Never thought about it, but I'm sure it did. Well, remember Jim Gianlottis, when we were talking before we got on here, Jim Gianlottis, my buddy that was old uh, head hunting buyer of Bass Pro, guy that helped me first start sourcing and cutting so stuff, uh, he worked at Bass Pro with me. Yep, sure enough. So there you go. Oh, I'll be darned. Yep. Huh. It's a small little world. Well, back to the the vet school. So how did vet school itself go for you? Because I don't know if people know this. There's probably not a lot of IRAs in vet school. There, There are some... There's some strange people in vet school. Oh, man, you know, purple hair and, and you know, just crazy ideas. Um, Bunny hugger. I did fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did fine academically in vet school. Um, but as far as, like, mindset and uh, social values and expectations of what, you know, was acceptable and what wasn't, uh, most of these people and I were on – Totally different pages, you know. I mean, they, they, there was no twisting what the rules were. Uh, there was no thinking outside the box, or you know, if the if the book said that you know A plus B equals C, and you see some curveball coming down the pike or whatever, it didn't matter. It was it was going to be right down the path, uh, you know, straight and narrow. No no rules for bending anything, and then. 
you know, golly, nothing against, you know, anyone's political views. Everybody's entitled to their own thought. But, I mean, the world of academics and and uh, MU is no different. I mean, golly, you can look at what's happened last decade there. It's embarrassing, frankly. I hate to say that. Probably piss a whole bunch of people off. But, um, man, you talk about just super liberal to where the inmates run in the asylum. You know, they can tell you that I was an inmate. Uh, but, man, I tell you what, they're, they're – there's some people that, that look at things a whole lot differently than I do, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it was, you know, there was about probably half the people that were on a totally different wavelength than where I was. And there was about half that would kind of smirk and, and chuckle underneath their breath. Not that they would have told everybody, but they thought it was pretty funny when I'd, I'd you know, do something crazy and kind of get everybody's hackles up, you know, and some of the guys, some of our professors would kind of laugh, but most of them were just ready to friggin' strangle me. Like, what'd you do to get your hackles up? Well, I mean, several things. But, you know, I mean, it was very structured. So, like, you know, they expected you to be uh, a, profession, a professional. They didn't want you doing anything that was not professional. So, I mean, you know, they didn't want you saying anything that was controversial. They didn't want you writing any handwritten notes. You know, everything had to be typed out and pages long and, no shorthand, no scribbling down your phone number. Hey, call me if you have any problems, any of that. It needed to all be very spelled out, you know, no smart-ass remarks. So, like, one day, it was opening day at dove season, and you had to have permission from one of your teachers to miss a day of school. So I went to one of the guys that I knew was kind of on my side and said, hey, man, um, I got a problem tomorrow. Um, I, I need to miss tomorrow, and, and tomorrow was going to be September 1st. So we all know what that is. And uh, so he said, okay, well, get me the form. So I get the form, and I write, as far as the reason goes, I write in their mental health day. So he doesn't ask any questions, you know. And so the next day I'm gone, dove hunting, having a great time that morning. And uh, I come back that afternoon, and one of the, you know, uh, women professors of a little bit different persuasion, boy, she was, she was looking for me, buddy. And she came up and she's like, you know what? I don't appreciate your bullshit. And, uh, you know, this is not, you don't belong to be here if you're going to act that way. And you're going to go and mess around and, and you know, make fun of this, this institution and all that. Just that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's like, man, I just wanted to go hunting for a couple hours. I mean, it's not like it's going to change any of our lives. But there was just no room for that. You know what I mean? They were not happy about the old mental health day, which actually meant that I wanted to go dove hunting. So that only happened one time. Did not happen again. Um, and you and you didn't miss school. I mean, it, that was just a big no, 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 no. That was the only time I ever missed. Yeah, that was. Uh, they made it very clear that that was going to be a one-time deal. And I was very thankful that they didn't kick my butt out of there. But and then another time, you know, it was just kind of funny stuff like this. But you know, I had this little ophthalmology professor, and she. Uh, she was in the room with like five guys, you know, there were five guys that, that were in the room with her, which is very unusual in vet school. And this poor cat's there. I, we were trying to stain the cat's eye or something. But anyway, I mean, we're wrestling the heck out of this poor little cat and she's trying to look at its eye and, you know, the cat's going crazy. And I start laughing. She's like, uh, what's going on? I'm like, this is a goddamn cat rodeo. And she was like, what? I go, yeah, this is a cat rodeo. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That did not go over well. They didn't like any of that type of stuff, you know. So, And then we had a bunch of other things that happened. I mean, I remember when I was in on my large animal rotation, and this happened to me several times during my career, but the first time it happened, it was like petrifying. So I'm working on the large animal side of things, and we got this big high-dollar money bull down there, and we had done with our foot exam and all that. And just as we're running him down the exit corral, the trailer that's backed up there pulls away. We thought it was the guy's trailer. Well, it was a different guy's trailer. So this bull runs out on the campus, and he takes off running, you know, across the, the main drag there, and there's cars all backed up. So, you know, we got we got vet students out there with lassos and dart guns and everything you can imagine. You know, it took us about 45 minutes to get this thing drugged and lassoed and back on a trailer. And it was just a, you know, big ordeal, shut down traffic and all that. And uh, another time I, I lost this dog named Scrappy. He had three legs and he was meaner than shit, man. He was mean. And uh, it was in the middle of the winter. 
and I had on cowboy boots, like the slick ones, you know, real cowboy boots, not what like work boots. Uh-huh. And so I, it was kind of icy out, and I take this dog out there, and I'm not paying a whole lot of attention. I, I didn't have him on a slip lead. I had him on his lead with a with a collar around his neck, and you're never supposed to do that. And so I take him out to go to the bathroom, and all of a sudden he tears off backing up, and he slips out of his collar. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, if you lose a dog, that's like about the worst thing that can happen. Well, of course, I take off running after this thing on the ice, you know, slipping and falling and trying to grab him and I'm grabbing him and he'd bite me and I'd let go and I'd try to grab him again. Well, he finally gets away and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I tell my professor, like, you're calling the owners right now. I'm like, come on, man, just let me go. Let me get two or three people and we'll go find him. He's out there somewhere. That She's like, no, you're calling these people and you're calling them right now. I'm like, oh my God. So I call him and of course that escalated the situation immediately it was not good and uh anyway we finally found the dog and that time when he bit me when i found him i was like i don't care you can bite me all you want you're coming back with me buddy mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that, that i don't know if i said this in podcast or if it was after the podcast i don't think people realize how difficult vet school is i mean it it is a it's a tough deal uh, I've heard people say that it's people that went to med school and vet school, and vet school's way tougher than med school. Well, I can tell you this: if you're on the, you know, if you got through undergrad on the program where you're going to skip class and take some cliff notes and, you know, do a little cramming and show up and get by, uh, yeah, that program doesn't work for vet school. I mean, a, you're not going to skip class; you're going to be there, and then b, you're going to have to put in, you know, a little bit of studying time or a lot but uh but like i said you know i work 30 or 40 hours a week at bass pro and uh my roommate one of them was a genius man i I mean his name was dave erke and the dude was super smart and very driven and so he'd always golly you know he went to all the classes and did all studying he'd condense let's say for a normal person you might have 60 pages of notes well he'd condense his notes into like four or five pages so I'd pay him a couple bucks or buy him some beer or whatever, and he'd give me his condensed notes. And, dude, I'm telling you, those things were like, that was like, you know, just pouring nitrous to it. I mean, you know, you could go in there and take a test and maybe put in a C effort and get a, you know, B-plus or an A-minus result. So thank you. here's to Dave Erke for helping me get through uh, through vet school. Wow. And, this is at, and this is at a time during vet school that when you – took a test uh, let's just say that you're in oh gosh anatomy or something let's just say that canine anatomy and it may be a professor teaching that certain class right but professors from around the building could submit a question to put on his test that you may you may have not even thought about covering right Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you were never going to get 100%. I mean, you know, it, it was kind of like hunting. You just hope to be one step behind Mother Nature. Kind of the same thing there, you know. I wasn't shooting for 100. I was just shooting for a C plus, you know. But, yeah, I mean, the tests were, were challenging for sure. I was always a good test taker. I mean, even if I wasn't smart, somehow I usually did okay on most of the tests, you know. But, well, yeah, let me ask you this, because uh, I, I was thinking about this when you were talking about the the differences between you and a lot of people that were in vet school, you know, you were talking about the people that that wanted to be a vet since they were small. A lot of these people would probably do well working for a rescue type uh, organization instead of being a veterinarian, though. I mean, they are, is that a good way of putting it? Oh uh, yeah, you know some of them. There were some that went into industry. There were there were some that have gone to work for, uh, you know, um, the government. There's some that have gone to work at, at schools. Uh, there's you know there's all kinds of different things that you can do with a veterinary degree. Um, one thing, and we you and I and Ramsey talked about it last week. But one thing that's really changed a bunch in veterinary medicine has created really kind of a. a crisis is that there's so many women, you know, the vast, vast majority of acceptance now are women. 
Well, anyway, there's a bunch of reasons for it, but you know, it's created a problem on the on the hiring side, and we're short staffed with you know we don't have a big pool of veterinarians to choose from because you know in in our still in our society, you know, woman most women are going to get married, they're going to start having babies, and granted, some of them are going to continue to be practice owners or full time veterinarians or whatever. You know, in general, in our society what happens the majority of the time is that the man, whether he's the breadwinner or not, which in the veterinary world, most of the time he probably is, because contrary to popular opinion, all veterinarians are, are not millionaires and, and don't really make a whole lot of money. Um, you know, she's probably not, she's probably still going to work, but she's probably not necessarily going to work full time, at least after she has kids and all that stuff. So um, that's been a, you know, an interesting dynamic that's creating some challenges for, uh, for practice owners, whether they're men or women, you know, it shouldn't be uh, difficult to find employees, uh, staff veterinarians, and you darn sure if you get a good one, you better be ready to pay them well um, and try and keep them keep them happy, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, there's all kinds of different things that you can do and that different people do. But you know, there's some people that just aren't cut out to deal with the social interactions of being a practicing veterinarian so you know a lot of it's coaching people and helping them with their emotional problems and opening their eyes to hey man your dog's got these issues and um you know and then there's the whole financial side of it and there's just there's a whole lot of stuff going on there and and i guess let me get back to vet school for just a second so vet school like most education programs i mean they're giving you a foundation that is supposed to be a solid foundation that's going to prepare you for your career. Um, and so you, you're going to learn about all kinds of stuff. There's going to be many, many, many things you learn about that you will never, ever use. Um, now, maybe if you were a histopathologist, you'd use them, or if you were an epidemiologist, you'd use them, or whatever. But most of the stuff that you learn in vet school the day that you graduate, you you know, 75% of it, you might as well just kick right out the door and call a waste of your time. But what you don't know when you get out of vet school that that is, you know, it's what everyone spends their first year or two out of school learning is that you got to learn and be reminded that common things happen commonly. And uh, But the problem is you don't know what the common things are because the same emphasis was put on, you know, uh, uh, splenic angiosarcoma as was put on, you know, a spay. So you just don't, you know, you don't come out with that experience base that, you know, when something walks through the door, like today, something walks through the door, I'm like, okay, here are my top 10 things. It's probably going to be one of these two. You know, if it's not, it's probably going to be one of these four. And then if not, then we're really going to have to start peeling back the layers of onion, spending some money and spinning our wheels and all that stuff. You know, but when you come out of vet school, you're like, oh, my God, who knows? It could be any of these 20 things. How would I ever figure it out? You know what I mean? I, I, I find all this hilarious because, I, of course, being married to a veterinarian and living this. I don't care. It's the same as being, pick any occupation. You know, we're all veterinarians, mechanics, doctors, uh, you know, woodworkers, whatever. I mean, it's all the same it's the same type of stuff, just, you know, a little different. Then the other big thing about a, being a veterinarian versus being what's going on by and large in the in the medical world today is that, you know, we still have to know a little bit about pretty much everything, you know, whereas many, many doctors today are, you know, pretty specialized and, and have probably recovered and forgotten, you know, the, the important things about who knows what all die. And I don't want to offend anyone, but, you know, things that are just kind of run-of-the-mill stuff, diabetes or Cushing's disease or whatever the case may be. But we, we still have to stay pretty sharp on all that stuff, you know, and what species you can expect what in and which breeds it's more common in and, and all that kind of stuff. And with experience, you just kind of, you know, you learn that you're always right. You just kind of, you know, what you're feeling for when something's not playing by the rules and, you know, it's just going to be one of those out there deals. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, I always say being a veterinarian is kind of like Christmas every day. You just never know what's going to be in that box. Did you ever second guess your, second guess yourself? 
when you were in school? Your choice? No, no. I mean, I didn't no because I, I really didn't have any alternate plan that was any better. So, no, I just I just thought it all worked out fine. And uh, I mean, I still, you know, like I said, as a veterinarian, there's a lot of different things that you can do. And I mean, look at my life. Look at what I ended up doing. Even though being a veterinarian is still a major part of my vocation, um, it's not like I mean, I'm doing a whole lot of other stuff. Right. So, I mean, so I sold Momarsh last year. I mean, it wasn't, hadn't been for the tariffs and some other things that were going on. Uh, there was a strong, strong case to be made for sell the clinics, for God's sakes, and uh, focus on all the hunting. So, man, I mean, you can just say, I'm, I'm a post worker, I'm a trash man, I'm a podcast host, I'm a... Uh, a booking agent, whatever, but, you know, that doesn't have to be what identifies you. You know, you can still work hard on your passions and follow those. And, and if you're, you know, if you are smart and you're passionate about something, I mean, it can become, even when people are like, man, you're crazy or you're screwing up. Uh, it's a, it, the United States of America. It's a free world still. Thank God for Donald Trump. but. Um, you can still be what you want to be if you work hard and apply yourself and make wise choices. And just because you're a vet or whatever people identify as, um, that doesn't mean that's what you have to be forever. It's not where you start. It's where you finish, is it? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, you like with me, I sit down and I look at, like, I list all that stuff out and, you know, I do all that stuff for the banks and all that stuff. Veterinary medicine is certainly on there. It's uh, thanks are not even close to being the only thing that's on there. I can guarantee you that. Hmm. As a veterinarian, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to tell somebody? I mean, you know, talking to people about their kids, I mean, is it, one thing, but talking to them about their pet would be something entirely different. You were talking about more than just the medical part. I mean, I, I never really gave any thought to the Golly, having to tell somebody bad news about Fluffy, you know. Golly. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, honestly, there's more good than bad, I feel like. I mean, I feel like we're very lucky in the veterinary community to be able to, you know, have humane euthanasia. That's one of the greatest things about veterinary medicine that, that we don't have in the inside of things. Uh, you see that the path is going a certain way and they're suffering and, and all the nastiness that comes along with, you know, getting very old and sick and all that stuff, man, we can help that pet by, by, you know, making a humane, ethical choice for them that, you know, pets don't have all the preconceived notions that we do. So, you know, you go to put Fluffy to sleep and Fluffy's sick and whatever. So, you know, all Fluffy knows is that, She's laying there on the table, and she's got people petting her, and everybody's talking to her, and she might not feel good, but she doesn't have all the baggage that we have of, oh, my God, they're about to kill me. They're going to put this thing in my arm. They're going to inject stuff, and that's going to be it, right? We're sitting there yeah. freaking out about that as the pet owner. Going, oh, my God, it's my fault. I'm doing this. The dog's going to hate me. No, the dog, you know, the dog doesn't know any It shows that it's getting petted. It falls asleep. Fortunate in that regard, where where it gets difficult is dealing with the people that you have. You know, I mean, these people become our friends. They're people we've known for a long time. You know, we have special relationships with some of their pets, and uh, so that part of it can be hard on them, and certainly on us too, from the human bond. You know, but from the and, and from the human pet or the veterinarian pet bond. Sure, man. If it's a dog I've known my whole life and I've always enjoyed seeing the dog and we've had a great rapport, yeah, it's hard to put him to sleep. But at the same time, putting him to sleep is everyone knows that that's the best thing that we can do. And so, man, I got you know I got a smile on my face even though I might have tears coming out of my eyes because uh, we're doing the right thing. You know, where it gets really mm -hmm. tough is when money sticks its ugly head in there, right? So let's say that you got a, you know, four-year-old dog, and it's got something that we could fix, but, or, or you know, we got a 70% chance that we could fix it. 
And, but you know, it's going to take 5,000 bucks or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's going to be a very involved, long, blah, blah, blah. And, and for that amount of money, probably some referral and all that stuff. And the people are like, Hey man, we got four kids, um, no money, can't do it. No business doing it. Um, we don't want the dog to be adopted out. We just, we loved our dog. It had a great run. We're just going to have to put it to sleep. And oh, uh, so those, and, and they're not all like that cut and dry and specific, but I mean, sometimes there's some things that are like that, that are like very difficult. You know what I mean? If it's an old dog that's having problems, that's easy. But some of those other situations are just, golly, some of them are really difficult and painful. So, yeah. Boy, you know, I've always, I've always just wished, I've had some dogs I just wish would die in their sleep. You know, just go to yeah. sleep and, and, and not wake up. That's a hard deal to bring a, bring a dog to the vet to put him down. Oh, yeah, you're the hard is the right, you're doing the right the thing. Door. You know, let the dog oh, die man. with dignity. You know, yeah, but all these, tough. you know, I, I, have, I have people every day that are like, um, do you think it's time? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell you that you wouldn't be here if you didn't already know the answer to that, because, uh, you wouldn't walk, you wouldn't have picked up the phone, scheduled the appointment and walked through those doors unless you already knew it was time. You know what I mean? So yeah. the only the only difference there would be if it was like a younger dog and, you know, I mean, the people were just kind of misinformed then, but if the dog, I mean, if the writing's on the wall, man, I just hardly ever, you know, if the people are emotionally prepared and we know where we're going, then it's time to do it. Yeah. Through all the years, wow. I've, I've never had anyone say I put my dog to sleep too early, but I've had a whole freaking cartload of them say I waited too long now that, you know, I'm on yep. the back side of it. I can see clearly yep. and all that stuff. So. Yeah, put me in that camp. Yep. Well, it's tough, man. Nobody wants to put their old buddy to sleep. Mm -mm. No. Nope. Well, it, yeah. Uh, Ira, next week we will pick back up graduating vet school, getting out into the real world. Sure, that should get real interesting. Uh, because you you you, you kind of thrown into a boiling pot when you when you like oh, to yeah. talk about it a little bit. So we'll, oh we'll, yeah, that's where we'll start next week. We'll start with your graduation from vet school and out into the real world. I think that'll be an interesting part of this story. So hey, I want to ask you yeah. this before I let you go, Aaron. How far behind you was he? He he's two years younger than me, but then he was three years behind me in vet school. Oh, wow. He, he applied so twice there. Yeah, the first time yeah. they sabotaged him because he was my brother, and the second time he got in. So. <laughs> <laughs> Poor son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> You're like Macaulay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell no. We do not need another Ira Macaulay in this <laughs> Well, guys, I've enjoyed it. We will, we will jump back in it's been a short week this week and trying to combine all of these into a few days but i, I appreciate y'all taking the time to get these recorded because ramsey you're out on the road Ira, i know how busy you are thank you again we want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the end of the line podcast power at ducksouth.com